everybody. I want to welcome you uh, today uh, to another installment of our journey through the Bible, starting in Genesis all the way to Revelation, a chronological, in-order approach uh, to the whole story, uh, the story that isn't just a, a segment of Jesus, but, but it is God's redemptive power all the way through. And I know that I uh, want to welcome you if you're watching online with us, uh, those that are in the auditorium in Lufkin and those there at Dieball. Uh, so glad to have you guys. Let's give all our locations a great hand this morning. So glad they've joined us. Yeah. And you know, I want to just say this really too, if, 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 you're, if you're a guest today and you're a little surprised that uh, today you came to church and uh, you're, you're, you're watching the pastor on a video screen, uh, what's that about? Well, let me just kind of encourage you with a couple of things. Number one, uh, after about the third row, even if I'm live, everybody's like, when I look down, everybody's like this. They're watching the screen anyway, so even if I'm live. So the screen helps everything get a little bigger, number one. Uh, number two, uh, God can still use this kind of venue uh, to really speak. Uh, so I invite you to not let the element of technology get in the way. Because I, I know a lot of you, you have never let... Uh, the television screen in your living room get in the way of you crying at the American Idol winner or praying to God that the Cowboys actually make this final fourth down. I mean, you're into it on video when it's the Cowboys or your favorite football team. So we can engage just as easily with this. It's a beautiful time to be in the local church because technology is helping us reach more people faster uh, through the use of media like this. So simultaneously, not all my not only am I here at the broadcast location of the Lufkin location, but I'm also in Dieball with our guys at the Dieball Correctional Center. And I just so happen to also simultaneously be on a beach somewhere in Maui with my family because I was invited to do a special wedding ceremony for a couple in our church that wanted to do a destination wedding in Hawaii. And so, man, I'm just, I'm suffering for Jesus right now. And so here we are, we're gonna jump right in into this installment of today's uh, story. Uh, before we, we jump in, I wanna, I wanna offer this to you. We live in a Sue happy, Sue crazy culture. Uh, where people are suing for this and for that. There's all kinds of mistakes. Lawyers are, are, are like, like vultures around companies trying to give the little tiny little print. After every radio announcement, you got the fast guy talking because of the lawyers. Uh, after every medicine commercial, you've got uh, the, the, the could cause this, could cause that. There's warning labels everywhere because we live in a culture that like doesn't pay attention very well to warnings. In fact, I've got a few of them. Uh, this is an American fishing lures warning label. And if you look down here, it talks about this contains lead, chemical known to the state of California to cause cancer and birth defects in fishing lures. But if you get closer, it says harmful if swallowed. Like fishing lures aren't designed to be swallowed by us. Of course they're harmful if swallowed. That's how you like, you know, catch fish. You keep going and we have this, this look at this warning. Remove child before folding. That's on a, that's a legit stroller warning. Thank, thanks. Uh, if the parent struggled with that, I think we're, we're in trouble. I like this tag inside the, of this vest. Made in China, but day or night use only. Just want to make sure you know the right time uh, to use the vest. It's day or night use only, okay? Uh, either, either one of those, but nothing else. 
Um, here's another kind of a baby one. This isn't really a warning, it's more instructions. And it's crazy to me that we need the instructions for this. But it says, instructions, how to check a baby's diaper. Yes, this is the right way. No. <laughs> like, no, that's the wrong way. Like, hello. I mean, who, who is changing, who is checking the baby's diaper like that? This is on a tractor. Here's just the warning. Like this kind of encompasses, the lawyer said, we need a real overarching thing to, to, to overarch this. Avoid death. <laughs> that that kind of that covers it. Here's a warning sign. Touching wires causes instant death. But they didn't stop there. And you got a $200 fine. So, so if you touch it and it doesn't work, you're going to have to pay $200. If you touch it and you do die, I guess you're going to, to owe them uh, on the other side uh, of eternity. I, I like this warning. This is a good warning. It, w- it seems like it would be self-explanatory, but it says, do not sit on fence. And I don't know who's going to sit on that fence anyway. But here's what's crazy. This one looks like it's like have been broken off and replaced. So obviously they had to put this warning on there because somebody who now their nickname is shish kebab, they, they sat on top of this fence and now we have warnings. We have warning labels on all sorts of stuff all across the products in our home, all across the great United States uh, of, of America. Here's a, here's, Here's the Grand Canyon. And in uh, the 18, since 1870, there have been over 700 deaths at the Grand Canyon. Over over 700 deaths at the Grand Canyon. Some have been uh, airplane accidents, hiking accidents, but more than 60% of those deaths have been people ignoring warning signs that says stay away from the ledge. More than half of them. In fact, just a few years ago, an 18-year-old teenager girl uh, wanted to take a selfie with a sign that said, stay away from the ledge. And as she got close to the ledge and ready to take the picture, rocks moved from under her. She fell off the ledge uh, hundreds and hundreds of feet and died. What is up with us not paying attention to warning signs? This installment of the story as we read through the Bible uh, as a church, it's called God's Messengers. And see, God had given warning sign after warning sign. He had shown them how to live, but he said, hey, this is where I need you to, this is where I need you to move forward. And here's how the, the way I want you to walk in. But then he begins to send these prophets Uh, seers, people that hear from God and speak to the nation of Israel. And they were really basically giving warning signs uh, to the nation of Israel that had been up and down. By this time now, uh, the the nation of Israel has broken in two and there's a civil war between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Uh, The tribes are all split up and prophets are dealing with the anathema, the depravity, the, the, the sinfulness of of the nation of Israel because they wouldn't listen to the warning signs. And as these messengers come up and they share the warning signs, it, there was a chief warning, a chief issue in the Bible. Take your study notes wherever you are and fill some of these out. In fact, the number one warning and problem in Scripture, especially the ones the prophets were talking about, was idolatry. Having other gods before the one true God, forms of God. 
God said, I want you to be monotheistic, which means one God. But they were struggling not with just choosing completely different gods, but they wanted to serve the one true God, but they also kind of wanted a backup plan. They, they, they wanted kind of plan B and C and D, so they would begin to serve the other gods, and they became polytheistic, multiple gods. And God said, hey, I'm not going to have anything. So he gives them warning signs throughout Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 6, don't follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. Now, when we think of the word jealous, we attach inappropriate emotions to it. But God, he has ultimate emotion. He has the purest form of emotion. And he says, no, no other gods before me. Nobody deserves the place of authority in your life, in your heart, in your mind, except me on the throne of your heart. Moves on to Deuteronomy 11, and it says, be careful. So it's a warning sign, you see? Warning, warning. Or you will be enticed to turn away Worship other gods and bow down to them. And we're getting into the portion of scripture as we read through the story this year where there's just this enticing to do things their own way and to serve all kinds of gods. And here's the problem with, I, with idolatry. Write it down. Where there's idolatry, the glory of God is being robbed. The whole story is about putting the glory of God on display. The whole story from Genesis to Revelation is not about us. We're not the main character. The main character of the story is God and God alone, and it's giving him glory. When you think of what the glory of God is, it's hard to define, like, what is the, how do you define the glory of God? Um, it's hard to use words to describe it. Like, think about, think about it like this. Think of these two words. Think of the word beauty and basketball. One of those words is easier to describe. If I begin to talk about a 10-inch sphere uh, wrapped in leather, you, you, you blow air into it, it bounces, you, you, you run down a court of a certain size, and you throw that ball into what used to be on a pole a basket, we get basketball. And you can begin to form in your mind what a basketball looks like. But when I say beauty, well, how do you define beauty? Well, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. And so beauty is a little bit more elusive. So the glory of God is not so easily defined, but it is in the eye of the beholder. And so the Bible displays the glory. And as we read the Bible, as we allow the Bible to become part of us, his word in us, as we eat the word, the Bible says, then we begin to view his holiness, his goodness on display. And when there are idols, when we put things before God, we're basically robbing God of the glory that he's deserved, that, he, that is due him. Now, this has been an issue all throughout the Old Testament. It's still an issue today. And there were, some, there were multiple gods that the nation of Israel wanted to serve. But they were the, kind of the big three is what we're going to kind of drill down on uh, today. There were three main false gods that the nation of Israel wanted in their back pocket as, as a backup plan. And they were here. You can write them down. They were the God of Mammon, okay, little g, little g God, the God of Baal, and the God of Asherah. 
And each one of these false gods represented a different product that they, the spirit of these false gods, clay idols that they would provide people. So, for example, uh, the spirit of mammon, the, the false god of mammon was the god of possessions. God of possessions. In fact, the Bible, Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and mammon. And in other translations, it says you cannot serve both God and money. What's he talking about? He's basically saying you can't have two masters because mammon is a God of possessions. And, and that was a struggle for the nation of Israel. They, they wanted to hang on to their stuff. They had lived four centuries, 400 years in slavery in Egypt. They kind of wanted to have their own stuff now. They kind of wanted to have their own things. And possessions became a god to the Israelites. Baal was the god of power, the god of strength, uh, the god of provision. And, and, and Baal would basically give you status and, and uh, uh, provide for you uh, what you needed when you needed it. They would pray to Baal because he had the power to uh, supposedly control the weather. He's a false god. He's not a real god. But that's what the nation of Israel began to do. I find it interesting. When they started to begin to worship Baal and God, God dried up the heavens and he brought famine. He's basically like, okay, you want to pray to the God of power, the God that you say can bring rain? I'm the one true God, and I'm a jealous God. But you go ahead and pray to the rain God. See if it rains. And he dried it up. So what? So they would run away from that idol, and they would trust the one true God. Then we have Asherah, the third key of the big three false gods, and that was the God of pleasure. Sex God. Uh, uh, not the one true God, the God of our glands, basically. Uh, the God of satisfaction, uh, the God of, of, of pleasing the flesh. In fact, the Asherah, uh, Asherah poles would be inside the temple. There would be uh, temple prostitutes uh, where they mixed in a worship of God and then they, they would work themselves up into a sexual frenzy inside the temple and that, that euphoria, that, 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 that sexual uh, 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 crazed out uh, environment inside the temple was supposedly going to get them closer to God. But really all it was was just absolute idol worship. And I find it interesting that, that these are very much alive today and they're all throughout scripture and you don't have to look very hard you don't have to look very hard to find these three gods at work from Genesis all the way to the all the way to Revelation. In fact, you go to the very first book of the Bible and Adam and Eve. Look at Genesis chapter three. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining what wisdom, she took some and ate it. Okay, now let's. Let's look at that. Good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom. Good for food, Asherah, pleasure. It, it, it pleases me to be able to eat. It satisfies my cravings. That, that's the false god of Asherah right there. Pleasing to the eye, that's mammon, possession. I can get it, I can have it, I can possess it. Desirable for gaining wisdom, that's power. 
That's pride. That's status. That's basically the false god of Baal. And even since the garden, when we take God off the throne of our lives as the one and only one true God, we fill the space with idolatry. We don't even know it. We don't even, I don't even think we realize it, but we do it. Now, Pastor, that's a little coincidental that that's in the, I, I don't know if that's, the, well, let me show you another place. Let's go to Matthew. When Jesus is launched into ministry and he, he's going out into the wilderness and he's fasting and praying for 40 days. And the enemy shows up and wants to tempt him. Here's what happens. Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, 5, 6, 8, and 9. The tempter came to him and said, the enemy came to him and said, okay, Jesus, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. All right, look at that. He goes on and says, the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, well, throw yourself down. The rest of the scripture says, then your angels will pick you up and everybody will know you are who you say you are. That's temptation number two. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. This is the third one. And showed him all the kingdom of the world and their splendor. And he goes on and he says, all this I will give you. All this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. So let's look. Turn these stones to bread. Asherah, pleasure. He's hungry. He's been fasting. Turn the stones to bread. I'm going to feel your need. It's false God. Pleasure. Throw yourself down and have the angels pick you up. That's power and status. That's the false God of Baal. All this I will give to you. I'm going to give you stuff. Possessions. That's the spirit of mammon. Now, that's pretty coincidental. You got it in Genesis. You got it with Jesus in the, in the wilderness. Is there any other places? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here we go. In John, 1 John chapter 2, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, don't give your heart to the stuff of the world, all of those things in it. And here's how he describes what is that stuff. Everything in the world, look, the cravings of sinful man, number one, the lust of his eyes, number two, and the boasting of what he has and does, number three. You'd hear it in other translations as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Those things come not from the Father, but from the world. So let's look at it. Cravings of sinful man, it's pleasure. Lust of his eyes, that's possessions, that's mammon. Boasting of what he has and what he does, that's status and power. And I mean, all through the Old Testament, it didn't get very creative. They kept coming down to possessions and power and pleasure. Possessions, power, and pleasure. They dealt with it all throughout. But here's the question I want you to ask. Write it down in your notes. This is the question you've got to ask. Is it possible that our hearts haven't changed that much since the Old Testament, is it possible that after a couple thousand, few thousand years, even with Jesus on the scene and becoming the ultimate sacrifice for humanity's sins that separate us from God, that we still haven't really ventured far off of the same old junk we're still dealing with? The answer is, yes, it's possible. Of course it's possible. You know why? Because the story of God is still being written. And he's still saying, don't have any other gods before me. The first commandment of the ten, thou shall have no other gods 
And yet it's the number one thing we continue to break when we go to these big three and we were more concerned about possessions, more concerned about power and status, and more concerned about pleasure. Now look, you might say, huh, I'm not, th- those aren't gods in my life. Those, those, aren't, those aren't a deal. But, but let, me, let me ask you this. Have you ever prayed over these things in a way in a way that caused it to look like it's more important than anything else. God, I just, I gotta have that promotion. God, I, I wanna go, I wanna achieve, I wanna build the American dream, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. God, I need status, I need the power, I need the position, God. Will you open it up for me? Possessions, God, if I just get that raise, Lord, help me to get some money. I need a divine transfer from heaven into my checking account. And my checking account number is five zero zero one two one three four. God, would you help me to get, get that? God, I really wish I had that car. God, I wish I could, could pay for that thing. God, I wish you could help me get that loan. God, I just want to be happy. Why, what, Lord, don't you want me to be happy? Lord, I just want to get, all I want is to get married. All I want to do is find Mr. Right. All I want to do is feel loved. All I want to do is, 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 is be adored by somebody. And we pray these things, and could it be, could it be that sometimes, sometimes these aren't answered <laughs> because they're actually gods in our life. And we're looking for our fulfillment in the answer to those prayers, but it's not finding fulfillment in the glory of God. In fact, write it down. God will not bless his primary competition could it be you're stalled out at work because you have put all your hope in your paycheck? Could it be that, that um, you feel like there is no future husband for you because you have put all of your value and all of your hope in finding Mr. Right? Could it be that, that, you know, where you are right now, that if you just had a little bit more You'd feel safe, you'd feel secure, you'd feel like you wouldn't have to worry as much if you just had a little bit more money in the bank. God won't bless his primary competition because those things are nice to have. And God doesn't say you can't have them. You can have nice things. Janet and I have nice stuff. We have nice stuff. But we can't let our, we can have nice stuff, but we can't let our nice stuff have us. That's idolatry. So what do we do with this? What what do we do with the primary competition in our hearts? Obviously, through the Old Testament, they learned the hard way. They went into captivity. They lost their possessions. uh, They lost their power. They became enslaved by other other countries that overtook uh, Israel. And we'll read all about that. And over the next few weeks, we're going to kind of uncover some stories from these messengers of God, these prophets of God saying, watch it, warning, careful. Where do we go? What do we do? How do we just... How do we stop for a second and really consider these things? Well, we go to one of these messengers. His name is Jeremiah. I was named after uh, Jeremiah. Um, was a bullfrog, actually, not the Bible prophet. But uh, uh, Jeremiah, um, the other guy I should have been named after, in Jeremiah chapter 6, the prophet Jeremiah uh, says this. He's speaking as the trumpet of the Lord. And he says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. 
So what I want to invite us to do now, wherever we are, whatever location we're in, I want us to take a moment and let this become now a crossroads moment in this service. I want you to stand at the crossroads of your life, and we're going to do some self-inventory. We're going to kind of peel away the, 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 the doors of our heart, and we're going to look at the shelves in our heart. We're going to ask some questions for the next couple moments. And we're going to see, okay, uh, I want to look at the crossroads. Where am I going? What am I doing? We just crowned the new American Idol, but what for us is the next American Idol that we're dealing with? Here's some questions that, that I want you to ask yourself. Write, write some of these down. Self-reflection. <clears throat> Number one, where do I really place my hope? There's a lot of places people put their hope. The Bible says some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. Like they trust in their surroundings. They put their hope in their job. They put their hope in the love of another person. They, they put their hope in their health. They put their hope in, in their good deeds. Cross their fingers. Maybe the big man upstairs will see that I did this good thing. They, where do we really place our hope? Number two. What do I complain about the most? What do I complain about the most? Do you complain about your circumstances so much that could it be that, that uh, favorable circumstances could be an idol? Because you complain so much about the way things should be or the way things aren't that that becomes your source of hope, that becomes your source of focus, that gets all the glory? Number three, what do I sacrifice time and money for? I am shocked at how much money people spend on frivolous things that they think will make them happy. And I've been shocked at myself when I've spent money on frivolous things that I think will make me happy. Here's another big one. Number four, what do I worry about? But what do you, you kind of twiddle your thumbs on? What, what do you kind of wring your hands about? What do you bite your bottom lip over? What do you worry about? Could it be what you're worrying about has got so much of your focus that it's taken the place, it's robbing God of the glory he wants to put on display, not just in the Bible, but through your life? Number five, what makes me think, and if I lost this, life wouldn't be worth living? I know some of, some of us, I, I quickly could put, oh, my wife, my children, a, a loved one that, that I care about deeply. If I lost that, uh, that that's really deep. It could be as, as surfacy as just like, if I lost that, you know, extra bonus that I get at the end of the year, whatever. But, but even our deepest uh, loves here, children cannot take the place of God. As we love our wives, we're giving God glory. As we love our husbands and, and honor our husbands, ladies, we give God glory. As we raise our children in the fear of the Lord, uh, we give God glory. But when a specific model, uh, perfect family, and, and you get so upset when things don't go out exactly the way you wanted them to, can the perception of the look of a family become idolatry? Number six, where do I go when I get hurt, where do I go when I get hurt? 
Because the source of your hope many times comes from when you, when you get hurt, where you're going. The well that you draw from when you're hurt usually indicates the source of your hope. Number seven, what brings me the most joy? What makes you happy? <laughs> food? <laughs> food makes me happy. But food, just like any other thing, can become an idol in my life and yours. Number eight, the last one. Whose applause do I long for? I grew up playing sports, basketball, baseball, soccer, croquet, maybe not croquet. Um, and my parents didn't make all the games, but they sure made as many as they possibly could. And I want to tell you, I, 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 I could be playing a soccer game with a stands full of people. And I mean, we're going for a goal and I'm running. And you can hear the whole, the whole crowd cheering as we're, as we're going. But I want to tell you, there was a voice that always stood out among all the rest of the voices. And it was the voice I heard the best. And it was either the voice of my mom or the voice of my dad. And I tell you, it didn't matter what Billy's parents were applauding. It mattered if I heard my mom and dad applauding. That meant something to me. I was after their applause. That's what God is after. He wants you to be after his applause. But sometimes we work so hard and we want to achieve a certain look of the American dream. And, and, and like I said, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. That sometimes we're trying to win the applause of a boss, win the applause of a spouse, win the applause of, of our children, win the applause of a city, win the applause of peers. And if we're not careful, that attitude can become idolatrous. And it robs God of the glory that he wants to show in your life. So let's go back to that, that scripture in Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. Look at those questions. Consider those questions the rest of this week. What am I worried about? What brings me joy? Am I worried about the, where do I put my hope? But the scripture goes on. The Lord continues to speak through Jeremiah and he says, ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the God, where the good way is. So the first thing we do is we look, we examine our ways, then we ask. We ask for the ancient paths. In fact, we, we say, Jesus, remind us that your greatest commandment is to love you with all our heart, soul, and strength. To love our neighbors as ourself. God, ask, show us the ancient paths. Help us to get back on that path and actually be there. Ask where the good way is. The scripture goes on to say, and once you ask, don't just look, don't just ask, but guess what the next one is? And walk in it. Start walking in loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That pushes down the ugliness of Asherah and Mammon and Baal that want to creep up in our lives and take the glory of God away on display in your life. He wants, wants to squelch that. And here's what happens. Look, look at this. Look at this. Here's what happens when we look, when we ask, when we walk. <laughs> here's what happens. You will find rest for your souls. We live in a crazy culture that is so breakneck speed 
where everybody says, I'm so crazy busy. In fact, in a recent poll, 62% of Americans said they are on the verge of burnout. And whether they really understand what burnout is or not, I don't know. I'm not their psychologist. But people are running crazy these days. There's not a whole lot of rest. There's not a whole lot of, you know why? Because we're spending a whole lot of time at work and while we're at work, we're thinking, man, I wish I was at home. And then we get home and we're thinking, man, I need to be at work so I can be making money. We spend 8.6 hours a day at the office and the average father spends seven minutes a day with their children. The average man spends three minutes a day in prayer if they're a Christian, average three minutes a day in prayer and 8.6 hours at their job. Where's the rest? (laughs) Here's where the rest is. We find our, our value, we find our goodness, we find our path, we find our, our, our uh, audience that we're trying to please in the one true God. All these warning labels, all these, all these watch it cautions, be careful because God wants your very best. If God was willing to give his very best for us in the form of Jesus, How much more should we allow ourselves to push away from the the, the back pocket plan B spirits, Baal and Asher and Mammon, and lean in, walk in, look, find, and experience that rest? It's available. He said it all through Scripture. Let's allow this week of Memorial Weekend, this, 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 this weekend, and more, more Memorial Day, all that, where we celebrate and we remember, uh, we remember the, the cost of our freedom. As we rest, may we look for him and surrender completely to him. Would you pray with me? At both locations right there, just close your eyes. Nobody moving around. This is a moment for us to do business with God. One of the team members are going to join me on the platform, join us there up front at Dieball. Right where you are, let's look at the crossroads. Maybe you're seeing an area where, whoa, possessions, power, pleasure. Maybe it's kind of creeped up and, and become an idol. And boy, you, you hate to admit it, but you're honest with God today. You're honest with yourself and you say, there's one of those, maybe a combination of those that, that I, I can struggle with. If that's you, would you maybe just raise a hand? I know I've been there and I can be there any moment. None of us are exempt. You can put your hands down. I want to pray over you. Jesus, thank you that you've not given up on us. <laughs> thank you that you love us so much that You show us this plan all throughout Scripture, and then you show us every single day that you're not not mad at us, but you do want us to turn and follow your path that you've laid out since the garden. And so, God, for every idol, we tear them down in Jesus' mighty name. For anything that's taken the throne of our hearts, we say no more. 
We will not, we will not serve more than one God because there is no other God before the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the universe, the creator God whose son is Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit three in one that are, is with us. Jesus, thank you. That you're the one true God and we don't need a backup. We don't need a cheap substitute. You're enough for us. May we walk in that and find rest and find peace and find value. And Lord, if we've never invited you, if we've always trusted in all the other things, even ourselves as our God, we invite you to be the Lord of our lives, to sit on the throne of our hearts, and we will live this life for the applause of an audience of one as we put you first yet again right now in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.